Hey everyone, it's Caleb. And today I'm so excited for you to be joining me here on the Learner's Corner podcast. We are continuing our series that we've been doing all throughout the year on the Enneagram. And today we are getting to talk about Enneagram 4s. And I am so honored to be joined by Christine Sa, who is going to be talking with me uh, about her experience as an Enneagram 4, what we can learn from them, uh, what what we can learn about them, and how to love and care for them uh, better as well. Uh, if Because if you're like me, I have uh, a couple of fours, uh, one in particular in my life that I think of who is a really good friend of mine, and just trying to figure out, and that's really the purpose behind this series, is figuring out what can we learn from the different personalities, the different types, then different Enneagram types of people, and how we can better love and care for them and what we can learn from them as well. But we're going to get into that uh, in just a minute. If this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to let you know that really kind of the the vision, the, the mission, one of the things that is the driving force behind this podcast is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because if you're like me, there are just uh, certain things that are that are just difficult to talk about with uh, different sorts of people. And depending on what circle that you run in, uh, the Enneagram can be one of these things as well. But really what we want to do here on the podcast is just take the position of a learner. And that doesn't mean that we agree with everything. That doesn't mean that we uh, maybe endorse everything as well. But what we do try to do is we try to listen and we try to learn and we learn from people and we grow with people as well. And sometimes it's learning uh, what not to do in certain situations. And in other cases, it is uh, following other people's example and learning from them in that as well. Now, before we get into my conversation with Christine, it is time for the Learner's Corner Recommended Resource of the Week. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of, man, what would be uh, what would be something really good to go along with that um, with the idea that we're talking about in terms of Enneagram 4s. And uh, and of course, as we've mentioned uh, in each of these episodes, Christine has actually written a devotional on 40 Days on Being a 4 as well, which I highly encourage you uh, to pick up. Uh, the devotionals are just super helpful in it. But if you're wanting to uh, explore more and learn more in terms of that, I was trying to think through what would be a really helpful resource of it. And uh, a book actually came to mind that I read that I uh, that I read a while ago, and I just went back through recently, and I've, I've gone back through it a few times. And uh, the book is by uh, Brene Brown. I know it's a surprise. I love learning from Brene, but the book is called The Quest or. Sorry, that's the sub. I was getting ready to tell you the subtitle. The title of it is called Braving the Wilderness and the Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. And the thing that made me think of this book is one, the Enneagram Fours, but really it's this conversation that she writes about in there um, about this interview that, uh, that occurred with Maya Angelou. And I just want to read this, uh, some of this to you. Maya says, you are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place. No place at all. The price is high and the reward is great. And so the interviewer follows up and asks, do you belong anywhere? And Maya says, I haven't yet. The interviewer goes, do you belong to anyone? Maya responds, more and more. I mean, I belong to myself, and I'm very proud of that. I am very concerned about how I look at Maya. I like Maya very much. I like the humor and the courage very much. And when I find myself acting in a way that isn't, that doesn't please me, then I have to deal with that. And what made me realize that is, or what made me think of that is, you know, the Enneagram type fours can sometimes be called uh, the individualists in there. And I think what Maya gets at is one of the heartbeats behind, behind the Enneagram type four, and it's being willing to embrace our own individuality and being comfortable with it and learning to be comfortable 
with it and learning that when we can do that, we belong everywhere. So that is Caleb's recommended resource of the week. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Christine. Christine is a writer, spiritual director, and pastor. She has previously served as a pastor of spiritual formation and as the assistant director of spiritual formation and care at Pepperdine University. She received her MA in theology from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and is a graduate of the Renovari Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation. She is a regular contributor to Missio Alliance and the Nine Beats Collective, and she is also an Enneagram Type 4. And without any further wait, here is my conversation with Christine. Well, Christine, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today and to talk about Enneagram and all things Enneagram type fours. Yeah. Nice to be here and it's nice to meet you. Yeah. And it's great to meet you too. And just kind of as we're getting started, uh, as I've done with all the other types, I love hearing kind of everyone's journey into the Enneagram Mm -hmm. and kind kind of what it was like for them. And I would love to hear yours too and kind of your process for being introduced to the Enneagram and then learning, hey, I am a type four. Yes. Um, well, for me, it was about, I want to say, oh, I can't do math right now. Eight years ago, <laughs> eight years ago um, or nine years ago when I first was introduced to the Enneagram, um, I was in a spiritual formation program here out in California. And um, as you know, my background is in spiritual formation and soul care. And um, during one of our sessions, uh, one of the professors taught us about the Enneagram. But at the time, I I really thought I was a two because the descriptions that I was reading, um, how I was interpreting that, you know, at the time, like that very strange looking circle <laughs> with lines yep. drawn all over it. Um, I thought, oh, I this is how I show up in the world. I'm a really supportive person to the people in my life. I love showing up for my friends. I'm a really good helper. I could see the pitfalls of being needed and feeling exhausted by um, the amount of work that I have to do to kind of show up for the people in my life. And so I strongly identified with the two at the time. Um, and then that uh, sort of thinking was doubled down by a spiritual director who um, was an expert, is an expert in the Enneagram. Um, and she's a white woman. I'm Korean American. And um, in one of the sessions, first sessions that we had together, she said, you remind me so much of my Korean client who is a number two. And I could see how, you know, she just started to kind of describe the Korean woman and kind of say that I'm like that, even though we had only met, you know, just for a few minutes or so. Um, and at the time I didn't have language for what that was. It was Hmm. kind of bias and stereotypes and kind of microaggressions taking place all at that time. But, um, I just was like, Oh, she's an expert in the Enneagram. So I, I need to kind of take her word for, for what she is seeing me as. And so I, at that time I really internalized that I was a two. So um, it wasn't until I want to say like five to six years ago when I started pastoring at a multi-ethnic church and I started to um, kind of utilize the gifts that I had and kind of branch out my wings in ways that I never had before that I realized after returning to the Enneagram and realizing I am a four, <laughs> I've been a four this whole time, you know, and and it is interesting and we can talk about this later, but how kind of religious or cultural expectations shape Um, our social sense of like how we show up in the Enneagram conversation. And I think for me, being in a, you know, patriarchal context as a Korean uh, woman um, and also um, in complementarian settings at uh, theological churches that I was a part of really shaped my my thinking that this is the way a woman shows up in the world. This is the way a Korean woman um, is perceived and is accepted. And so, um, yeah, this is a very thorough intro into your question, but no, that's, yeah, that's, great. that's um, a lot of, yeah, there's still some pain, you know, from having lived in a two like nature for a lot of my life, even when I knew that it wasn't fully who I was because it's what was taught to me and instead of who mm-hmm. I was at that time. Yeah. I, I, I can uh, relate in the sense of, you know, being a three, we, ad- we adjust to our expectations 
yeah. of people and not being the per- not necessarily being the person that you know that you truly are. And I would love to hear just kind of what did that wrestling process look like for you? Mm-hmm. And was there like a a thing, a series of things that kind of led you to go, hey, I I am a four and I am not a two. Yes. Oh, it's so um there's so many layers to that journey, but I'll I'll just give you one sliver yeah. <laughs> for now. But um, when I was working at a Christian higher education education institution for about six years or so, and um, at that time, like I said, I thought I was a two the whole time. And when when my friend um, asked me to apply for a job at her church as a pastor, at the mm-hmm. time, I didn't believe that women could be pastors. I thought that women could only um, support men in leadership roles. So it was really like a turning point for me when I ended up applying for that job. And um, it was like with the support of my partner, Dave, who was like, you should apply. This is, you're, you know, you're really going to thrive in this role. And I was like, but I theologically don't believe that women can lead, you know, and it's just what was taught to me growing up and what I had internalized for a lot of my upbringing. And so once, um, I applied for that job and then I became a pastor at a, at this multi-ethnic church that I became a part of. Um, that's really when I started to, I, I would say my first year I realized, Oh, I've had wings this whole time. And I, I've been like, I'm soaring for the first time. And I didn't know that I've been living like a lizard, you know, like, I was like, I didn't know I, I could lead and, and serve and, preach and pastor kind of fully empowered as a Korean American and as a woman and realizing my foreignness had been um, squelched in a lot of ways. Um, And I'm not saying that being a pastor means you are a four or something like Mm -hmm. that. All I'm saying is um, that that ability to share the gifts that God had given me and uh, not be restricted by boundaries and boxes that had kind of kept me inside like a certain framework for how women or Koreans, uh, Korean American women show up in the world. I, I would say that's, that's when it started when I realized, Oh, this, uh, this ability to be creative, this ability to, to fully empathize with people and then lead them into a place, liminal spaces that most people are afraid of entering into, you know, um, yeah. the, I realized these are all gifts. These are not meant to be squelched into like serving others in a way that was unhealthy for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there like, was there some type of, you know, practice or spiritual practice or just practice in general that helped you move more into, uh, I don't know if, and you can correct me, but like a greater acceptance of yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I think it was the environment that mm-hmm. the first step I think was the environment of seeing other people of color fully empowered in their gifts and seeing other women fully empowered in themselves to be leading and preaching. So I would say the first step for me in embracing my foreignness was being in an environment that said, we want the fullness of you. We don't want just Mm -hmm. this like small version of you. So, So my first year was really unpacking that, like, what is the fullness of me? I think I am showing up just as I am, but as time went along, I realized, oh, I'm, I'm still, stuck in seeing myself in this kind of diminished way. Um, yeah. and, and I would say, so the environment, I think, and, you know, I, I come from a collectivistic culture. So I think that was important to me that it was a community championing me and saying, you can do this, like show us fully, like how you have been created to be, you know? And I would say that was one, um, aspect, um, not necessarily a spiritual discipline or practice, but being mm-hmm. in that spiritual community that really held me and, uh, fought for me to be fully who I was in that space. Um, and I think, you know, because I grew up in those um, de- uh, denominations and contexts that were more cognitive, um, I would say um, the spiritual practice of being more embodied in my uh, my being. So not just simply like studying the scriptures cognitively, but internalizing them, you know, even Peterson's book, like eat this book, you know, and, yeah. and uh, marinating on passages of scripture um, to like really soak into my bones and my spirit rather than just as knowledge, you know, to kind of regurgitate to other people. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say embodied practices like opening my hands, clenched fists to opening my hands. Um, And, you know, in my spiritual formation program, we, we practice this often where um, 
you know, we would move from the cognitive to the imaginative to, to the embodied. And so, yeah, the, uh, there are definitely some practices in there that I feel like were healing for me. Um, and I write about this in my book, coming home to myself, not just in here, but in, in my body and my spirit and in my emotions. Mm-hmm. One of one of the other things I've been asking, you know, each person that I've talked with is, uh, how would you describe your type? Yes, that's a great question. <laughs> well, I want to say, you know, um, the tagline does really encompass so much. The popular tagline of, you know, the need to be special or the need to belong. Um, but I, I would say, like, my superpower really is um, empathy. My superpower is um, emotional intuitiveness um, and being able to be a safe harbor for people. Um, and I would say that's where fours really shine. Um, that and also kind of like our creative spirit. Like we're always dreaming and fantasizing about how to make the world a better place, you know? And yeah. uh, we have issues with like actually enacting from the place of fantasy, but um, it, it does create this uh, sense of movement and, and joy and inspiration. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts just around empathy and mm-hmm. you know just how um, you know at least in a lot of the force that I know that seems to come pretty naturally mm-hmm. to people. I would just love your thoughts on on empathy and what you've learned about that, and even you know for for the well, just give me your thoughts on empathy, and we could we yeah. could come back around. Yeah. Um, well. I just feel like from a young age, I because I grew up in a home that had a lot of um, kind of dysfunctional elements mm-hmm. <laughs> taking place um, in multiple ways. My family went through bankruptcy. My dad was struggling with alcoholism for much of my like early formational years, and um, I think during that time, my parents were uh, working so hard. You know, they are Korean immigrants, and you know, we were in like survival mode, and there wasn't a lot of capacity to give to me emotionally. And so, um, you know, at times I write about this in the book where, you know, I would come out of my room. My, my parents are just like going through a lot of like argument and conflict. Um, and I would kind of retreat to myself and try to make sense of what was happening, you know, and I would just think like, oh, I wish they would just understand each other. I wish they would like understand why they're reacting in so much pain. And I wish there was more understanding. I wish there was more, um, peace, you know, in this situation. And so I would say, um, from a young age that was cultivated and, um, you know, fours, uh, you know, the experts, they say in the books, like fours often grow up with parent parental figures, not being able to be there for them. And so they end up kind of, um, going inward and developing a sense of, okay, I like this, um, emotional turmoil or kaleidoscope of turmoil that takes place where you contain, um, just, uh, all these, uh, deep, um, connections to every single emotion that exists in your body. And, you know, it's, I, I make a joke that like my friends, when they ask me, how are you doing? And like, what are you feeling? You know? And then the question I, I say to them is like, what am I not feeling? Like I'm always feeling things all the time. And so I think that's, that creates like a framework for me to be able to empathize. I would say like, I can kind of pick and choose like the different ways that people are um, coming off to me or projecting themselves to me. And I'm meeting them right where they're at. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was cultivated at a very young age, you know, because I had to juggle so many different relational conflicts in my family at the time. Yeah. For, for those of us who aren't a type four, (laughs) what is it like to feel things all the time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I feel like when, and that's funny, I always say I feel like, and it's just a joke now. <laughs> I believe. Um, you know, I I don't know. It it just it's just such a part of who I am that I can't really even separate out uh what another person living in my skin would respond to or react like if they were feeling all the things I was feeling. Um, but I think it's helpful to differentiate between kind of pitfalls and also, um, ways that we fall into self-indulgence or self-pity or melancholy. And for me, you know, I've struggled with depression for a lot of my life. And Mm -hmm. so because I'm containing all these emotions when, um, you know, we, we talked about this, Caleb, and you were, we, you were gracious to 
be able to cancel our um, first podcast appointment because last week there was a massacre in Atlanta of uh, six Asian women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I that was such a difficult, um, horrible um, tragedy uh, for my community. And for me, I, in those situations, I allow myself to feel deeply because um, I need to show up for my community in the most embodied way possible. And I think in trauma, we can compartmentalize and it's helpful to compartmentalize for survival. Um, but for me, I needed to deeply grieve with um, my AAPI women um, and Asian American sisters who were also deeply grieving and create that space so that um, we could heal together. You know, And the only way to heal uh, in our community really is by being together, standing in solidarity with each other and holding space. And I would say, um, yeah, to answer your question, um, my foreignness, it, it, it's drawn to that authentic expression of grief and lament. And um, I can't have toxic positivity. You know, do you know that frame, phrase and framework? Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't roll with that. You know, I can't be like, you know, God's going to make sense of this and it's going to be okay. Like, you know, when there's a closed door, another one opens, you know, like I've never been able to function in that kind of way. Um, I naturally gear towards the most authentic way it's possible to be able to show up for the people in my life. And so I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm trying to think of what, whether or not I want to come back. Uh, I do want to talk about that. I'm trying to figure out where in the conversation, but I guess we can, we could just go there. You know, one of, one of the things uh, that, that my, that my hope is for each of these podcast episodes is that, you know, I think there's something that we can learn from each Enneagram type, uh, even if we don't identify as that type. And just one of the things that, you know, you've talked about it, and I've seen it in some of my friends as well, is this commitment to authenticity, even if the authenticity sucks, even if the reality sucks. Um, can you just talk more about that and the importance of that because of what you were saying, like there is, I think this um, temptation to go to the positive, especially whenever it comes to faith yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, maybe you feel this movement too, Caleb in uh, church contexts, but I, I am seeing a movement towards um, returning back to good Friday spaces and mm-hmm. Holy Saturday, silent Saturday spaces um, I think for a majority of my upbringing, like this is a, you'll, I know you're making the connection, but I'm going somewhere, everyone who's listening in, <laughs> but I think we are Easter people, you know, we are resurrection people. We are, we are people who believe that Christ is risen and that gives us hope for all of our lives, you know, but I think, uh, when we move past and skip, um, good Friday, realizing that Jesus wants to be with us in our suffering, that Jesus doesn't just fly into the tomb. Like, you know, he's it's like, I'm here. You know, he's um, wanting to sit with us. He's crying in his own suffering. And um, in that middle space, um, that, that there's room for that in Christian spirituality. I think um, many of us have been discipled and mentored and formed spiritual formation. We've been formed to believe um, that you know Christ the Victor only shows up in this kind of glorious, victorious way. And if we talk about Jesus's suffering, then it takes away from you know this risen Lord. But it's not that way. And I would say for the majority of communities of color, the way we have survived is because we believe Jesus is with us in our suffering. You know, and I, I think. Um, it's important for us to reclaim that narrative and return back to the scriptures in that way of seeing Christ with us, Emmanuel with us in our, in our grieving and in our lament and in our sorrows and in our oppression and in our injustice. Um, Because that is what provides hope, you know, for the victory, for overcoming, for resistance, for, for justice to come. Yeah. And one of the things that I would love uh, just your thoughts on this too, one of the things that really just has stood out to me, and you kind of alluded to it as well, is that it makes our king so much greater whenever he's like, hey, I don't just want the part of you that is everything is good. It actually manifests his glory even more. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like spirituality is so, um, it, it, 
when you engage your um, being in a, when you engage your soul and your spirit and your entire being into uh, a faith practice, whether people identify as a Christian or, you know, in a different faith um, expression or formation, um, I, it's, for me, it has been cultivating that interior life and that inner voice um, where I, I believe, you know, I, I think um, uh, many of us grew in evangelical circles grew up with that tagline, you know, chuck yourself at the door when you come into church, you know, and, and um, that mentality is still prevalent. And I understand it's because it's, you know, people don't want to disrupt, you know, positive things or like, you know, they, they don't want to bring down a mood of excitement and joy, you know, but that messaging is so harmful. You know, it's so harmful because that saying, in order for you to come into church, you have to leave a part of yourself out. And that is not, that is not how God engages us. God says, I want all of you come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, not come to me half of yourself who's weary and burdened. You know, it's like the entire part of you and I will, I will give you rest. And I think that is so um, important to reclaim and return to um, because that allows us to be able to love ourselves, to love God who actually loves the fullness of us and to love our neighbor. And I think there's so many through lines and even in the division and the kind of um, political, social, all the, all the fragments and fragmentations we see right now, it's because a lot of us have not been discipled and formed to love ourselves fully because we thought God could only love part of ourselves. So we like, oh, only like the strong, vigilant, Christian nationalistic person is like, you know, and it's not that it's, no, no, God is close to the weak, you know, God is close to the lowly and the humble. And I think the through line of being able to fully be loved by God and, and allow ourselves fully to be loved by God, um, it overflows in our ability to love our neighbor and to create those spaces of empathy, create those spaces of understanding and listening. And truly, even if you're coming from totally different aspects of the political, social, theological spectrum to say, you're still a human being. And I want to love all of you because God loves all of you. <laughs> you know, so I think those through lines are all, all there. Um, and I think your question really speaks to, to this moment as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about just as I was uh, preparing for our conversation today is, um, and you, you've talked about it too throughout the conversation, is how you know type fours can have very intense emotions. And that, pro- that probably comes more naturally to you. I think at one point or another, we all experience really intense emotions, whether it happens unintentionally to us or not. Yeah. Um, I would just love your thoughts on what has helped you deal with the very intense emotions whether uh, they're they're good intense emotions or maybe harmful t- tense intense emotions. Emotions. Well, um, therapy. Please go to therapy. <laughs> my four my four friends. <laughs> therapy has been a huge part of I think my healing journey and being able to categorize what is real and what is not because I think mm-hmm. um, I can attach my emotions to like past experiences that have been negative and I can like wallow, self-pity, self-indulge. You know, these are parts of our uh, shadow sides of our foreness. Um, and so my therapist has been really helpful to kind of parse out, this is reality and then this is not reality. Like how do you mm-hmm. don't wallow in this space? What what are your lessons and how can you move on or move forward? Um, not ignoring the hurt, but yeah. saying, Oh, you. This can. This does not have to um, pervade your life in this kind of intense way anymore. Um, and so, I would say, yeah, those uh, therapy has been really helpful with um, my intense emotions. I think having trusted friends, um, you know, fours. One of our taglines is also the need to be understood, and um, having friends that are willing to go with you down to the place of even the spiraling that feels like, oh no, you probably think I'm out of control. Like, oh no, like you're seeing this part of me that no one really wants to see. I'm even ashamed of what I'm feeling right now. Um, you know, but I think having soul friends who are, have been critical in my ability to accept myself and the complex parts of my inner world of emotions, um, has been really healing for me as well. And I think different spiritual practices, one of them is Emmanuel journaling. Um, it's a uh, practice um, by Sungshim Lapnow, Sungshim and John Lapnow, and it's basically writing a letter to God, um, but taking notice of your emotions. It's like, dear God, I feel, and then writing out, 
I think uh, writing out, um, I, I've been uh, believing this and, you know, so just kind of mm. being able to categorize kind of what's tr- my true self and my false self in these um, categories as I'm um, writing an honest letter to God and then um, writing back a letter to yourself, dear Christine, I feel, I see, and, mm. and believing that God's spirit is speaking through me to myself. And so that has been also a very critical practice. There's many of them, but yeah. those are a few. Um, yeah. Uh for the person who is, you know, maybe they're they're married or they're in a relationship with someone who is a type four, they're friends with someone who is a type four. Um, what advice would you give to that person? You know, you talked a little bit about it, you know, of being with them in the spiral. Yes. Of, is there anything else that is helpful uh or that that communicates love or that you feel understood yeah. uh that the people in your life do for you? Yes. Um, and I would say like, I'm so grateful for my partner, Dave, <laughs> if he's listening to this, <laughs> just because uh, Dave has been such a critical part of um, that ongoing sense of assurance. And um, and like I mentioned, some of my soul friends that have been walking with me and haven't abandoned me after I've shown them the spiral. <laughs> but I would say, yeah, I think um, an important uh, attribute would be um, not being afraid of a four's intensity. What, what was your question again, Caleb? Was it um, how to show up for a four or what was or it? It, it, it's, it could be that, but uh, it's just, what's some advice for advice. you know loving, loving type four as well if you're mm-hmm. you know, in a relationship with them? Yes, I, I think the, I, my immediate thought was not trying to fix them, like fix their emotional state, but just holding space. And I would say among my four, I have a really close, a lot of close four friends are like my favorite. <laughs> I like threes too, Caleb. But, <laughs> <laughs> thank but, you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And um, just amongst our four, four friends, we always say, oh, we wish we could be loved in the way that we love others, which is holding that space. Like that's our, when I said earlier, the superpower, empathy and emotional intuitiveness, I would say that third piece is that holding space for people and not, um, interrupting someone's process of grief or um, disrupting someone's process of uh, the spiral themselves, you know? So I think, um, yeah, the advice I would give to someone who wants to love on their forefriend or partner better is is not to try to fix or um, change who they are, but really create a space for understanding and knowing that um, they will come out of that space, you know, eventually, but they sometimes just need to be held and, um, and be understood, um, to move forward from where they're at. Um, I would also say, uh, you know, people, people say sometimes fours are like so complex or so sensitive. Um, and (laughs) those are true, but I would say that's, those are like really good attributes. I know I'm biased. (laughs) Um, but I, I really, I think, um, being okay with an individual's complexity and I mean, this is, goes back to empathy. It's just trying to understand for sure. And like, try to, for real, like, understand and know where someone is coming from. It just takes some time, you know? Um, and if something else comes up later, I will, I will get back to you, but that's all yeah. I'm coming with right now. No, that's good. Um, uh, I would love your thoughts on, do you have any, uh, like tips for empathizing well with people or do you have any questions of like, Hey, I love asking people, you know, this question, mm-hmm. this question, or this question or anything like that. Yeah. Um, well, with empathy, I always think of um, Mr. Rogers, who's just like the best, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I have, I feel like in my heart, I always have um, his song, you know, "Won't You Be My Neighbor." And I think that active, that active looking, instead of um, the guarded, you can't be my neighbor. <laughs> but I think for me, it always starts with um, seeing someone's eyes and believing that they are worthy of being seen. And, um, I don't know, for me, it starts at very small levels of asking, you know, our man, like saying hi to our male, our male person, our male character, um, knowing them by name, dignifying the work they do, you know, going to the grocery store, same thing with people who are essential workers right now, who are truly our sheroes and our heroes and dignifying them and saying, how's your day? How, 
And even if I'm exhausted to the brim, you know, and I'm, I have two kids at home and we've been fully in the pandemic mode where I don't get a break at all. <laughs> um, but it, it's still, I know that they are working so hard um, and they're juggling children while working right now out in the stores, you know? So I think to me, it's thinking before even um, having a conversation with someone like, oh, how can I make someone um, feel seen and known? And I think from that space, that space, it cultivates that, um, empathy. And I think, I, I think it really did start when I was younger with my parents. Cause I just wasn't sure how each of them were doing all the time. Yeah. So just trying to preemptively make sure that they're okay. And I know that, that trauma should not have happened, you know, for my, my sister and myself, but it, it still cultivated this part of me that really wanted to protect and help my parents feel seen and cared for because in their marriage, it was so hard for them to feel seen and cared for by each other. Um, yeah. So I think, I think preemptively thinking through how can I make someone feel seen and known? And then if someone opens up, you know, and gives you just the sacred gift of their story to believe it and to not question it and to hold space for it and not try to fix their story or try to fix even the way they're telling the story, and I know with racial and gender, political, there's so many divisions right now. And, um, you know, I think there there has to be room for us to see humanity in, in one another, even if we disagree and mm-hmm. um, move towards a place where we, yeah, we, we fight for the humanity of everyone, you know? And um, yeah, those are just some thoughts on empathy. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, you know, you mentioned your background with spiritual formation as well is kind of the the connection or the role of emotion whenever it comes to spiritual formation um because i feel like that is something that is you know being talked about more um mm-hmm. but it probably doesn't get as not enough airtime as it does and so yeah. i would just love your thoughts on the role of emotion in terms of spiritual formation and even maturity in that yeah yeah, you know, right now because the enneagram is such a um, hot, hot. What do you call it? A hot, hot thing. Hot topic. Hot topic. Yeah. Like, hot spot. Okay. Yeah. Hot topic. Um, there are so many people, you know, and I, I actually I enjoy seeing all the memes of like fours or like this, and then it's like you know these like little things here and there. I'm like, yes, I feel seen today. You know, it's it is fun, but it also distills um, what the enneagram is meant for, and it is you know, for me, I guess it's been nine years of journeying, um, often in heartbreaking ways, like, oh no, my motivations are causing me to show up like this or like, you know, and, and, um, or the unhealthy, you know, pieces of my Mm -hmm. motivation. Um, and I also want to clarify with our listeners, um, that I'm not an expert in the Enneagram. Um, I'm simply, you know, I've been just a four for 35 years now. (laughs) So I'm just speaking from my life experience. And there are many resources that I'm sure Caleb has shared um, on this podcast that you can um, refer back to. But um, I would say the role of maturity and uh, emotional intelligence, um, that that fours are known for having done a lot of work in self-awareness. That's part of, you know, we second guess ourselves all the time. Uh, we appear to be very creative and free and like, look at me, I'm shining, you know, this kind of mentality. But, um, in many ways we struggle with comparison and envy and we, we, a lot of fours grow up feeling that a part of them is, um, fractured in some way. Like we don't, we don't deserve good things or we don't deserve, um, to be loved fully. And, um, so I think, I don't know, I think, self-awareness has been cultivated at a young age for many of my four friends and I, um, and the way that we approach the Enneagram, it cannot be all about ourselves and our own kind of enlightenment to become the best version of a four or best version of a three or a two or one, or all of the numbers. Um, it has to, it must have an outward lens of how does my self-awareness and my emotional maturity how does it cultivate into a place where I can be a healing presence for the people in my life? How can it go outward into this missional kind of not savioristic space, but this missional space where we are cultivating um, greater understanding and empathy and compassion in our world? And I think with the Enneagram, we can 
very often stop just at that individual enlightenment piece and not move towards the communal. How do we, how do we develop a world that is more understanding and more full of empathy and compassion? So yeah, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I feel like I keep saying that in yeah. all of your questions, but yeah, I think I would start there. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about empathy. Another thing that you mentioned earlier was the creativity piece yeah. of that as well. I would love just your thoughts on that. Yes. Um, what, what, what about creativity do you want to know? Well, <laughs> well I just think like you had mentioned uh, earlier, like one of the things that really stands out is, you know, the empathy side for mm-hmm. fours. And another thing that can really stand out is the creativity side. And mm-hmm. so how does that end up playing playing itself out, you know, in yourself or, you know, in your other uh, type four people in your life that you've seen? Yeah. Well, I I would say the the creativity piece is connected to um, seeing beauty in the world. Mm. It's um, for some of us, it was like a survival mechanism because of either our upbringing or um, our internal processes. But uh, creativity creativity has always just been a part of my life, whether it's, you know, me singing or painting or writing, um, or expressing myself through preaching. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think the way that I can't really explain the creativity, it just kind of exists. And, um, it's an important outlet for me to, um, express kind of some of those, um, internal complex realities that exist within me. So, you know, yeah, to answer your question, it would be, I would say my creativity is a release of all of that internal complexity that's living within me. Um, in Korean, the word, um, there's a word called Han, uh, Han, Han, and it means uh, a piercing of the heart due to injustices, uh, whether they're individual or collective. And for me, a lot of my creativity is releasing um, the Han in like a very um, healthy way, where it allows me to make sense of what it is like to be a woman of color living here in the U.S. during these times, especially with um, the rise of anti anti Asian violence and yeah. um, all of that. For me, it's just a way for me to express. Um, what healing looks like for my community, what healing looks like for me and birthing something um, that's good and sacred in the world. Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, I don't know if it would be a process or a practice that helps you with that, you know, expressing those complex emotions and feelings, you know, and getting it out into the world through, you know, an art form, whether that be preaching or, you know, singing, as you mentioned, or anything like that? Yeah. Um, Let me think. Well, I would say solitude is really important to me. Solitude is really important to be able to center myself. Um, And if I don't have that solitude, especially as a mom and as a working person, um, I can just be running on fumes. And so carving out that space of solitude is really important. Um, But uh, solitude can look a variety of ways. You know, I Mm -hmm. think for... um, people of color, we sometimes even shy away from the word silence, you know, because silence has been a way that uh, white dominant culture has silenced people of color, POC and BIPOC. So for me, um, what I mean by solitude is coming to a place of centering, but sometimes that can be even in community. You know, it doesn't look like going to a monastery and being on a mountaintop and receiving that. That is one very valuable way to center oneself. But for me, you know, I grew up in a communal context and culture. So for me, going to the Korean bathhouse um, was a huge part of my um, spiritual practice and rhythm before the pandemic took place. Um, And that's where Korean women gather together and it's like very loud. And, you know, you're scrubbing your, you know, uh, which is like toxins from your body. And it's a very embodied experience of healing. And, um, for me, yeah, I would say solitude, which looks a variety of ways um, for my social location, um, is mm-hmm. yeah, is is important in in kind of being grounded and centered from the complexity. Mm-hmm. Is there um, anything? Well, I, I was going to say, I'm sure there's a lot, but are there? Mm-hmm. What would you say that unless you're a four, you probably don't know these things about type fours? Oh, um, fours. <laughs> We we love ourselves. <laughs> Fours. Yeah, we we um 
Yeah, I would say we 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 really see ourselves when we're healthy, we really do see ourselves in the way we believe God wants us to see ourselves. Um, and that is a way that we can extend that same um, perspective to our community and to our friends. Like we really see people in all of their complexity and in all of their nuance. And um, I think that really, I, I'm so grateful for that ability. And I, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it, you can you're not like James Bond or something, you know, when yeah. he had that, like see through the, I'm not talking about like this surface level, you know, type of seeing through. what I mean is, Oh, can we cut that part? That was a weird yeah. part. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. No, no James Bond. Cause I'm not, I don't mean underwear and things like that. I mean, what I was trying to say, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, um, no worries. Just pause for a second. That okay, way we'll you, be able to Caleb. cut it out. And then just, sorry, that was hey, weird. <laughs> magic. Magic of editing. <laughs> Thank you. And I heard footsteps, but they did not open my door. So I was grateful <laughs> for that. Um, I think what I'm trying to say, Caleb, is uh, it sounds pretentious. And I'm trying not to be pretentious. But what, all I'm saying is, mm, oh, yeah, what should I say? Something that floors. Can you ask the question again, Caleb? Yeah. Sorry. Nope. No worries. What would be, you know... A thing or a couple of things that unless you're a four, you really don't know or understand about fours. Hmm. Uh, I would say fours. You know, it depends how um, integrated we are or how kind of evolved we are. Um, I, if, on that circular chart with the diagonal and uh, horizontal and vertical lines, um, fours we go into uh, oneness in in our integration, and so and, and we go into the unhealthy parts of a two in our unhealthiness. Mm -hmm. And so I would say when fours, when we're motivated and we are uh, feeling. Um, like for a lot of us, even if I talk about empathy to you, Caleb, you know, we've unpacked that a lot together in this podcast for fours. Um, a common theme is that it's hard for us to actually take action on our empathy. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, in, when we see an injustice or we see someone that needs help and we're like, Oh, that's so sad. I feel all of that, you know, but then to not actually take the action to sign that petition or to actually go out and protest or to do the thing, you know, you need to do, you know, even in church context where you, something wrong has happened, we need to make it right. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're integrated, we move towards that oneness and we say, oh, we, we are responsible. <laughs> like we must take action. There's an integrity uh, on the line. And so um, I would say we're, I, I always kind of teeter that line of I'm an artist, I'm a creative, but also I have a responsibility and, and, and that's an important move for me to make in order to fully thrive in the fullness of how God has created me. And, um, yeah, I can't think of anything else right now, <laughs> but that that's one thing I've, I meant to mention earlier that I think might be helpful for people too. Oh, that's good. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about when terms, and I'm like, I know that there's a lot, uh, but is there anything that comes to mind about any gram type force that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we talk about? Hmm. I can't think of anything else right now, but I think the message I want to give to our listeners and to you and to myself is that all of us, um, whether in our foreness, which can often feel, you know, like something's wrong with us because we are so complex. Um, I just want to tell our four listeners and also um, everyone else on the podcast that we we are so deeply loved and um, we are so deeply worthy and um, seen and known by God and worthy of being seen and known and loved by one another. And I hope that even from this conversation and more conversations about the Enneagram can always turn to um, turn towards one another, not just this in individual um, critical analysis, but um, move us from a place of self-awareness and emotional awareness to a place where we really, um, yeah, create a, a more compassionate world for one another. Mm -hmm. uh, you sparked something in me that I actually want to ask you about. Uh, you know, you've mentioned several times throughout this about being complex and I think that's probably one of the things that probably comes more easier, more 
And again, this is more my theory, and you can say, nope, that's wrong or what. Um, but fours probably have a, an easier time of identifying that complexity mm-hmm. uh, than any other type. Is mm-hmm. there anything that's helped you become more comfortable with that complexity? Or in there, did that just come pretty naturally? No, no, no. It definitely took years of unpacking and uh, really struggling with self negativity and self-rejection for the complexity. I think I would always think like, what's wrong with me? Like, why Mm. do I feel so many things all the time? And even, you know, when I would bear my soul at different points to friends that I trusted and for them to not be able to hold my mystery to myself for themselves, you know, I think that also created more distrust of like my own, my own embodied experience. And so I I would want to tell our listeners, you know, please be gracious to yourself in the Mm -hmm. complexity you hold. Um, It's like a gift. It's not something to be uh, disdained or uh, looked down upon. It's really your superpower to be able to understand the complexities of other people in your life. Um, But for me, uh, to answer your question, Caleb, I I think... Mm -hmm. Therapy, like I said, was huge. Um, spiritual direction was also tremendous for me because it helped me to um, begin to not hide those aspects of my complexity, even from God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one layer is like, oh, I can't deal with all this stuff, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna numb and like watch TV for eight hours a day and say goodbye to the world and then come back again, you know, after, so like, I think it's, I think that, um, numbing and self-indulgent pattern was, has always been a struggle for me. And mm-hmm. so I think having kind of boundaries in my life with therapy, um, spiritual direction, knowing that God can contain all of the complexity, not in a false positive toxicity, yeah. toxicity way, but toxic positivity way. I said it the opposite. Um, but that God wants the fullness because God created the fullness of this complex being. Um, and then also, also some spiritual practices, like looking at, um, there's something called like a emotion wheel and being mm-hmm. able to differentiate. Yep. Yeah, you know, it, right. It's like all the color coded. Sometimes we can't even name what we're feeling because we've never been given the language for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, disappointed is different than despair, you know, but to be able to di- di- differentiate and not be afraid because someone has already named it on that, t- on that color emotional wheel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, starting to parse out like, what, why is this complicated? And then writing out journaling, you know, what, what is going on in this area and then writing out. So I think for me, being able to separate out different parts of my complex inner being has been really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one final question that I'm asking everybody is, how are you different from learning about the Enneagram and doing the work to become, you know, healthier and grow as a person? Mm. Uh, well, I, I immediately think of my kids and, you know, you're not supposed to, <laughs> you're not supposed to um, <laughs> say what they are. Yeah. You know? So I, but in my mind, I have a framework where, um, what's the word? Oh, peg. You're not supposed to peg, you know, what they are at this age because they're so young. But for me, um, it's given me a framework to see what am I missing? You know, how am I um, misinterpreting or misunderstanding um, my kids in whatever number they show up as in the day, (laughs) you know, which can sometimes be one number and another number, but it's just giving me a wider framework to understand motivations and to, um, specifically, I think, um, for people of color, there's not a lot of language or resources out there for our experiences. You know, most of Enneagram literature has been written from white voices and also white male voices. And so, um, I think what's so beautiful about this series is that, um, Cindy Bunch and Suzanne Stabile, you know, they've created such an incredible lineup of voices that still have yet to be centered and they will be centered now. Um, and that will be so helpful for, um, people listening and wanting to learn about the Enneagram that they don't have to box themselves in, you know, kind of like what I was sharing with you at the very beginning of our podcast. It's like, Oh, am I a two? I guess this is how, you know, because I've never been heard another narrative from another woman or another woman of color. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, those are some things that I, I hope, um, will transform, um, the conversation. Yeah. Well, Christine, I know that people are going to want to, you know, continue to learn from you and pick up your book, 40 Days on Being a Four. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? 
Yes. Um, you can go to IVP or Barnes and Noble. You can go on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be so honored if you read uh, my book and I look forward to staying in touch. You can find me at, um, Christine Yisa on Instagram and, uh, my website is still being developed. So, <laughs> I mean, it's under construction right now. So hopefully that will be up, um, in the next few weeks. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Caleb. Nice to chat with you. I think one of the things that has really stood out to me about uh, about Enneagram type fours and uh, and just taking this away uh, from the conversation with Christine as well is their ability to sit with people in pain and their ability to sit with difficult emotions as well and being willing to um, dive into that that kind of what feels like darkness what feels like negative emotions which feels like things that maybe you don't think that you should be feeling as well and just giving space to people to feel those things, to express their emotions as well, instead of rushing in to offer advice, to fix the problem, whatever that may be, or to provide a solution in that. And that's something for me that does not come naturally. I've gotten better at it over the years, but... (laughs) I used to be so bad at that. I I would literally uh I would just I would I would be kind enough to um to maybe not interrupt, but if I had to guess, I probably did interrupt a whole lot as well. But just so quick to provide a solution instead of just sitting in the pain with people and Yes, there is there is a place to move beyond the pain, but there is also a place to sit in the pain as well and to not move too quickly from it as well, which I think is our temptation, especially in uh, in the American culture, which we live in, which values uh, efficiency and getting things done literally as quickly as possible. And uh, it just it just makes me th- it makes me think of another Brene Brown quote. To what she talks or what she says, you need to spend a reasonable amount of time paying attention to other people's feelings and thoughts and the experiences that they were going through. Otherwise, you will spend an unreasonable amount of time going through and managing all of the stuff that comes from not listening to people, not spending time with people there as well. And yeah, that's just something that really stood out to me as well. And if you're like, man, I really struggle with that. My my advice is really simple. Just shut up. Like the next time that someone tells you, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing, just listen and say, man, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. And just sit there. And it's going to be awkward. And that's okay. Anyway, if you have enjoyed this episode with Christine and you want to learn more about any of our other Enneagram episodes, go back through the feed uh, and go check them out. I think we have pretty much all of them, all of the Enneagram types done except for sixes and fives and eights, which will be coming shortly over the next few months as well. And so you can be on the lookout for that. The best way to make sure that you don't miss any episode of the Learner's Corner podcast is by subscribing on whatever podcast player you use and leave a rating and write a review. Actually uh, hit the follow button for it. I think most uh, are changing to follow now on that. Anyway, thanks so much to Christine for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much to Garrett Oler who does the uh, musical, not the musical, Does Sam does the musical. Thanks to Sam for doing the music and thanks to Garrett for doing the music as well. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. I think that's all that I have for today. And so until next time, keep learning and keep growing.